you. And uh, we'll just uh, share a thought from the Word of God tonight before we have some time to pray. And I hope that you have been praying through the course of this week, just leading up to our conference. And um, no doubt you, there's other things that we're dealing with, you know, different sicknesses and all of that. It's the season for it. But we're glad that, that God is able to just preserve us through it. And again, just asking that we would as a church be prayerful as we get into the, the uh, missions conference this week. But a couple of verses here, look at verse 7, and we'll read down to verse 9. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we love you. We thank you, dear God, for your goodness and grace, and thank you, dear Lord, for just the opportunity we have to open your word tonight, and thank you for those here, and Lord, just the, the sacrifice that they've made to just be here and, and be faithful to your house as we come to you in prayer. We're just asking, dear Lord, that you would just, um, Lord, speak to us as we open your word. I pray that you would already go before us, dear God, and just meet with us in the, the course of this week, and Lord, as we discuss the, the very important Lord, the theme of, of missions and the need to spread the gospel into all the world. And I pray that you'd help us as we, even leading up to that, that you would guard our hearts. Thank you that our speakers got to get in and they're safe. And um, Lord, thank you for the, just the opportunity that we have to host them. And Lord, we're thankful for that in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. So tonight, just a simple thought as we think about this, this thing of godliness um, you know, when you study through the book of First Timothy, godliness is mentioned uh, a number of times in, in this book, and, and it's definitely a theme that is carried throughout the, the course of this letter from, uh, from Paul to Timothy. And in Psalm 4.3, the, the Bible tells us about godliness, that, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. And so those who are, are godly, God identifies them, he says, he sets them apart for himself, for his use. And so it's a good thing for us to, to consider whether we have this characteristic in our lives. In Psalm 12, 1, he does say, Though help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And I think it's a, that, that would probably be uh, a good commentary at times if we observe this day and age that we live in. Um, even in, in Christendom in general at times, I think that this characteristic of godliness isn't mentioned enough. So sometimes we hear the words, buzzwords like being relevant, buzzwords like connecting, and all of those we, in, in a sense, understand the meaning of that. But those things of substance that we see in the Word of God, like godliness, can sometimes be swept, swept aside for buzzwords like those. And we understand why, because the whole thought of godliness actually is a challenge to us. It's actually something that is confronting, because the whole thought of godliness is simply to be like God in our character, in our desire, in our ambition. And we're going to enter into a week where, as a church, we're going to ask God to challenge us about something that is important to Him, the reaching of the world. 
And so we understand that it can become something that is uncomfortable. Even Spurgeon in his time, he said this, Urgently we do need a revival of personal godliness. This is indeed the secret to church prosperity. And, and sometimes we, as a church, we, we look for answers as to why, why it is that we're not making an impact in our world, why it is that, that it just seems to be there's no attraction uh, for the lost world to see the light of the, of, that the church ought to be. And the answer can just be simply this, how is our godliness? Godliness defined in the dictionary is simply a religious life. It's a careful observance of the laws of God and performance of said duties. Proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands, it's simple Christian obedience. And godliness, when I think about it, is the outworking of our faith. It's the, the realization and the reality of it. Again, Spurgeon said this, that stale godliness is ungodliness. And we're not speaking about just following the the, the letter of the law, we're speaking about the heart of God and who He is and understanding His nature and understanding His heart for us as His people. And He says, Let our religion be as warm and constant and natural as the flow of the blood in our veins. A living God must be served in a living way. And that's what godliness is, is, is we're living the way God intends us to be and the way God desires us to be in an outward fashion, in a way that that that's, that signifies a difference in our lives. And so this characteristic that is going to cause a church to flourish is godliness. But notice what he said there as we think about that tonight. He says, Refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So he's saying exercise this in our lives. You know, we live in a, in a time where uh, it's 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 quite uh, quite uh, quite accepted and in fact encouraged that we would exercise and we would keep ourselves fit and you know all of us we try to at different varying levels of course how we go about that some that uh, you know we we go out and and we go out of our way to make sure that we're looking after our fitness and what we do to do that is we have a balanced diet but also we exercise. And what he's saying here is, is exercise is this, this purposeful attainment of something. We're going after something. We're trying to achieve a goal. We're working towards and, and, and disciplining ourselves to make sure that we're attaining this. And notice a couple of things as we think about just the exercise of godliness. Firstly, notice in Scripture with me tonight that godliness, firstly, is an exercise in refusal. He says there in, in verse 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. And then he says, exercise thyself rather to this thing. So if we're going to exercise ourselves to godly, in godliness, firstly, we need to, it's an exercise in refusal. We're going to firstly need to refuse certain things. And if you think about that in, in regard to just fitness and all of that, there's certain things we've got to refuse in order for us to exercise ourselves, Right? We've got to re refuse a certain appetite at times. We're going to need to refuse other activities that may, might take up our time rather than the other. And 
He's saying refuse profane and old wise fables. To refuse simply it means to deny a request, uh, to d- deny a demand or an invitation, to decline, to do. Uh, to those things that are profane and he, those things are irreverent, proceeding from a contempt of sacred things. And in fact, he earlier in, in, in the book of 1 Timothy, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he warns Timothy, his son in the faith, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. So again, notice the, the contrast between those two things. And specifically, he's saying deny and refuse these, uh, these other things that are profane and old wives' fables. And what it was in that day, there had arisen in the, in, the, in the church of Ephesus those who adopted stories made up from certain persons named in the genealogies. They made up legends about some who were in the genealogy that weren't specifically mentioned by God. And so they, they started to espouse extra-biblical advice and uh, and extra biblical stories that have become part of the tradition of Judaism and it, it, it came out of genealogies found in the Old Testament. And so what it was, these fables and endless genealogies, they were two parts of the same thing. He was saying he's saying refuse those things. And in fact in Second Timothy uh, chapter uh, chapter three, I think it, it talks about the fact that that in the latter days we there's those that that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And he's saying here that there's things that, that are, at times, we could obsess over and we could enter into that are apart from those things that will allow us to exercise godliness. And we better be careful with these old wives' fables. We better be careful entering into those things that are just... just uh, uh, maybe have some semblance of some, some biblical uh, foundation, but aren't the Bible themselves. You know, the truisms that sometimes we, and, and pithy things that we sometimes say as, again, well, th- that's just good advice, but is it, is it more than what we see in Scripture? Is it more than the, the, the obvious advice and counsel of the Word of God? And sometimes we get lost even in the mysteries that, that, that we're trying to expound from the Word of God when we just ignore the plain and simple of the Word of God. And we could obsess over that. And people can write blogs and commentaries and all of that. I'm not saying that any of those are invaluable if they're based on the Word of God. But, but we can get obsessed sometimes with even some of the mysteries that God wants to keep a mystery. And we miss the practicality and the exercising and the point of the Word of God. It's to make us more godly. And so remember that Ephesus as a city it was a, it was a cosm- cosmopolitan. It was a hotbed of east ma- meeting west. And he was warning them because there was a danger of truth being muddied in worldly philosophy. And that's why at times when we see a decline in, in who we are in Christ, and we see a decline perhaps in, in a culture that somewhat at least had similar values to what we find in the, word, in the Bible, it's because there's a refusal of those good things. He says in Jeremiah 13, 10, this evil people which refuse to hear my words. Notice what he says about those people, they're evil people, Why? 
simply because they just refuse to hear. They're refusing the wrong thing. He says in Proverbs 8.33, hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. And so actually there ought to be a readiness for us each time we get into the Word of God like this tonight and we have times when we are challenged in those things that are godly, there ought to be a, a readiness rather than a refusal. And godliness really is an extension, if you think about it, of our allowance for the Word of God to change us. That's what that is. But we've got to, it's an exercise of refusing those other things. And we're to give consent for truth to change us. But you know, secondly, godliness is also an exercise in discipline. Because we see in verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. And, you know, I, I admire those who um, have a great discipline to get up early, to exercise, to try to attain a certain goal physically. We're amazed at, at athletes that, you know, uh, just seem to be so out of this world. They're able to do things that we can't, we can't even dream of doing. And we look at that and we, uh, we send accolades their way. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong. The, the Bible's not saying we shouldn't exercise our, our bodies. But what he's doing is he's making a comparison here. He's saying bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. What One profits just a little bit. Why? Because our bodies are temporal. Our bodies is just a vehicle, and yes, we ought to steward that. But actually, in all of it, he's saying that, that there's little to be gained there in comparison to exercising godliness. Godliness profiteth all things. And so it's a contrast is, is what he's saying there. And, and again, if you know the context of First Timothy, Paul is warning his son in the faith here about the thing of ascetics in, that was setting in. And what that was, there were those who were denying themselves bodily things that were just, just right and good. Those who were uh, going around and, and trying to live life without flavor. They didn't want salt because that might bring them pleasure. They, they didn't want uh, to experience love in a relationship because that might be adding to the flesh. And what it was, they were submitting the body, the discipline of the body, but what he's saying here, godliness is not just a submission of the body. It's a submission of your whole being. It's inside and out. It's the whole of you. And he's contrasting that. He's saying, you know, bodily exercise profits little. But actually the exercise of godliness, it profits in all things. It's the greater. And, and, and he, he says, again, at, at times there's a worship and a serving of the creature more than the creator. And, you know, we admire those who have great discipline in those arenas. But we may not highlight even in our own lives the great disciplines of the faith. Prayer. The, the reading and the study of the Word of God. The meditation of it. The, the hiding of it in our hearts. You know, those are the things that we ought to look at and it profits all and those are the things that we ought to be encouraging our, each other about. And, and godliness is profitable unto all things. Tozer said this, Let any man turn to God in earnest. Let him begin to exercise himself unto godliness. 
Let him seek to develop his powers of spiritual receptivity by trust and obedience and humility, and the results will exceed anything he may have hoped in his life. Saying it'll exceed, actually, even your own expectation. And godliness is a discipline, and we won't take the time tonight to study through these, but in Psalm chapter 32, it's a discipline in confession. Just making sure you have a clean account with God. It's a, it's a discipline of study in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a dis- discipline through persecution. You know, nothing will show you how fit you are than you putting yourself to the test, right? You know, I, I mentioned just, just by way of illustration that there were those who ran the, the Noosa, right? The, the Noosa marathon and some who ran the 10, the half and the full marathon, just different levels, and you could test yourself at the level that you were trying to attain to. And, you know, you could, you could do all of it, but nothing will tell you how fit you actually are and how much you actually exercise than doing the, doing the actual thing. And you know when Christianity and godliness most counts and it's the most revealed? When we go through trouble. That's why I was just chatting with our missionary to, uh, today. We spent some time together with the Unruhs and I was just asking them, how, how was it? How was COVID through this whole time in Sri Lanka? I mean, it's different. It's a third world country. And he told me, he said, you know what? It was a real test. It was a revealer. I said, you know, for us too. There are those who just don't come anymore. They'd rather just sit in the comfort of their homes and live stream in. And they just decided because, boy, I mean, who would drive 40 minutes to church? And, and he was saying it was just a revealer, actually. And and I think persecution and trouble is like that for the Christian life. It's a, it's a, it's a discipline in contentment. He'll say it later on in chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so as the world focuses on the temporal, we've got to be disciplined in the eternal. And godliness is an exercise in discipline. But then lastly, notice in verse 8 again, he says, having promise of the life that now is um, and of that which is to come. You know what godliness is? It's an exercise in perspective. It's an eye towards the, the, the eternal things. It's understanding that this life is just short. It's, we can see it for what it is, and we have to look beyond that. And It's having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Saying the exercise of godliness is actually an exercise in perspective, where do you keep your eyes? You know, we look at the things that we have to sacrifice in this world, and we sort of go, well, is it worth it? No, it is, when you look at it from an eternal perspective. You know, having that uh, a Christ-mindedness, a heaven-mindedness, and in Second Peter 3, 11, he says it this way, this way, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Saying that all of this is temporal, it's going to burn up one day. And he's saying, keep your eyes. We know in Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And what he's saying is that why we just persevere with exercising ourselves unto godliness? Why? Because our motivation for godliness isn't what profits us now, although it does. But for the life that God has given us in him, the, the, the life to come. Because if that's where we'll get the rewards of godliness. That's where we'll get the, the well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
That's where we're going to get the crowns. That's where we're going to get the gold and silver and precious stones that we're going to get to cast on Jesus' feet. That's when. And so true godliness, another author said this, does not turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better in it and excites their endeavors to mend it. Why? Because they've got their eyes on the prize. They've got their eyes, their, their perspective. It's an exercise of perspective. You know, an athlete who goes through the, the, whole, the whole trouble of just getting up, at, and I, I was taking, telling my kids this, you know, I said, you know, if you really want to be an athlete, you, you're going to need to get up early. You're going to need to give up snacks. And, you know, I was getting convicted as I was saying it, you know. But, you know, all of those, you know why? they? Because they have their eyes on future success. They got their eyes on the Olympics. They got their eyes on the what's to come. Their perspective is trained not on the pain of now, but on the rewards of tomorrow. And in verse 9, he says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And what that is, Paul affirms that what he just said, exercising godliness, is a faithful saying. And what this is, it's, it's a phrase used by him to affirm that actually this should be a commonly held belief. This, isn't, this is normal. This is the normal Christian life. And this isn't extraordinary, it's actually just the life that God designed us for. And so, church, I just want to encourage you. You know, exercise yourself rather unto godliness. I mean, bodily exercise profits, but it profits little. But exercising yourself to godliness, that's, that profits to all. All right, let's pray. Thank you again, Lord. I pray that you'd help us as we head into the week, help us to apply that, help us to examine our hearts. I pray that you just bless the rest of our evening as we come to you in prayer. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Hey, Paul, thanks. All right, church, time for prayer. So it's good to have that opportunity. Um, and then we've got the prayer.